When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The following podcast contains explicit language. By now you know that I love romantic comedies. And why wouldn't I? I was a nerdy Indian kid growing up in Concord, Massachusetts, a.k.a. Snoozetown, USA. Thanks to asthma and corrective shoes, I didn't have much adventure in my own life, but at least I could still always watch two beautiful white people fall in love against the odds. But the real reason I love romantic comedies? They always end the same way. Marriage. 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 And then... I got married. Hey everyone, welcome to Represent. I'm Aisha Harris, your host, and today we're reflecting upon two very different shows as they wrap up their respective seasons. In a bit, a conversation I had with Don Lynn Gardner, who plays middle child Charlie Bordelon on Queen Sugar. The hit drama from the OWN Network centered around a trio of estranged siblings living in rural Louisiana. She and I chatted about season two ahead of next week's highly anticipated finale. But before we get into that, The Mindy Project is coming to an end after six seasons. And considering how groundbreaking it was when it first premiered in 2012, we couldn't not talk about it before the show bids farewell. So after breaking out on The Office as both a writer and in her role as Kelly Kapoor, Kayling's show gave her a chance to indulge in her own pop cultural obsession, the rom-com, particularly of the Nora Ephron variety. So every week, Mindy Lahiri, an OBGYN living in NYC, balanced a robust work life with a ridiculous set of co-workers while dating no shortage of hot guys in hopes of someday finding the one. The show has definitely had its fans, but also famously its critics, particularly when it comes to Kaling's casting choices of the men she's dated on the show. There's a lot to discuss about the Mindy Project's legacy, and joining me to discuss it are two fellow journalists who have in the past written about what it's meant to them to finally see a South Asian woman steer a TV show. So I have the Washington Post, Lavanya Ramanathan. Hi, Lavanya. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm great. And Splinter's Isha Aaron. Hi, Isha. Hello. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you both on here. As of this recording, the second to last episode has been released on Hulu of The Mindy Project. And I know, Lavanya, you've gotten to see the, the finale. Neither of us, Isha and myself, have seen it. So we won't talk about it. And this is airing before the finale drops next week. And so first, I want to let listeners get a sense of where you all fall in your fandom or maybe critiques of of uh, the Mindy Project as a whole. Uh, Isha, why don't I start with you? I feel like I've had, I have like a, not a love-hate relationship because I don't hate the show, but I have like kind of a complicated relationship with the show. I think as a South Asian woman, like I, it's impossible not to have high expectations for a show like this because I mean, and that's kind of like 
the problem because there are no representations. There are no like there are well just one yeah. <laughs> a woman calling the shots on a television show. So you sort of um, you can't help but want it to reflect everything about you and uh, have this universal um, appeal to what you've been through. And that's obviously impossible for one person to do and like a terrible thing to put on someone. Mm -hmm. So I think that was sort of like uh, a personal thing that I got over. But I also I think it's a great and like well-written show as someone who actually really dislikes rom-coms. I really I like appreciate that it is kind of like this dissertation. Um, And then again, on the other hand, it definitely has its flaws with, like you mentioned earlier, when it comes to the casting. And but yeah, overall, I think it still has a pretty important place in our pop culture. What specifically did you like if you can think back to five years ago when the show first premiered, like what were you hoping like what did you know about Mindy Kaling before the show? And like what were you hoping she would bring to the table with this sitcom? So, yeah, we obviously like from the office. I was kind of hoping maybe a little bit something a little different from her Kelly Kapoor character. Mm -hmm. And I think part of what was frustrating with her um, sort of playing out this, um, I guess, yeah, obsession with like rom-coms is that I kind of wanted more of a racial analysis of it and like why we don't see people of color in these huge romantic comedy things and like applying the formula to the reality of what it is to date in America as a person of color as mm-hmm. opposed to sort of like overlaying kind of some tropes even though the tropes i think are pretty well subverted in the show yeah i mean that was always one thing that i wondered was just like okay she's subverting the rom-com in some ways but at the same time is it different enough like we've seen the rom-com reverted in lots of other uh formats and and ways uh i mean granted this movie hadn't come out at the at the time when this started but um what was the one with uh amy poehler and um was it came together they came together with paul rudd have you seen that no (laughs) have you have you seen it lavanya i have yeah it was like a complete parody of the rom-com genre which i feel like they can do in a way and they're like two white people a white couple making fun of the the genre but like how far did mindy really take it in terms of and based on the season i feel like she's just kind of doing all the the tropes that we're, we expect her to do right I, yeah i feel it's not ex- it's not like get out for rom-coms like it's not like thoughtful social commentary <laughs> yeah Lavanya what about you what were your expectations going into it so I'm I'm a little bit older I remember when Margaret Cho got her show and I remember being excited about it even as like a, a young girl um, and also being very disappointed um, I have a little bit of a background in Asian American history and it's it's what happened to her I think and I think we have to we can't look at the Mindy Project without looking at Margaret Cho and the legacy of her show and also the legacy of what TV does to shows. I think we cannot just assume that Mindy has all the agency, even though she's the showrunner. There's so many other factors involved. So I think when I look at the show, I sort of, you hope for the best. <laughs> you sort of hope that it's going to go well. And I think it did. I think they they surpassed 100 episodes. Um, it cultivated a really loyal fan base. It um, managed to get picked up pretty quickly by Hulu it, and for whatever reason, you know, um, it didn't – or Fox believed it didn't play well on on network television, right? Um, and I think that's really important to know is that all the kind of things 
a lot of the the complaints I might have six years later have to do with the fact that the show has immense pressure upon it to both perform Mm -hmm. um, in a way that is like compelling to mainstream audiences, not just South Asian women, although I'm sure that it has, you know, a, a large contingent of South Asian viewers. Ultimately, it has to perform kind of for the the larger audience. And I wonder sometimes if that's not why it was a rom-com. You know, it was a rom-com and she dated these, um, I think, almost exclusively white guys. And, and sometimes there was an episode, I want to say maybe in season four or five, where she tries to go on a date with an Indian guy. Does anyone remember that? Yeah. Oh. Sorry, you're supposed to catch me with your lips. I'm sorry. I just don't really see this going anywhere. I did. I only had five garlic knots at dinner because I thought we were going to make out. Look, being Indian is a really important part of my life. More than CrossFit, even. And I need it to be important to the person I date. Are you saying I'm not Indian enough for you? Mindy, I think you're really nice. But I don't think I can date a... Pescatarian? I made that all up. I hate fish. I eat meat all the time. No, no, no. I don't think I can date a coconut. Is it because I'm covered in tiny hairs and I fall out of trees? That's me. No, because you're brown on the outside and white on the inside. I gotta go. So we actually talked about this, oh, it was a while, like maybe a year ago on the show, um, when we were more generally talking about women of color dating in TV series. And I actually, this season, I was just catching up. I skipped four and five. Uh, I stopped watching once it moved to Hulu. And then I just kind of jumped into season six. And I was like, whoa, all these new characters. <laughs> um, but I did watch I did watch that episode that you're talking about where she dated an Indian guy. Yeah, and I felt like almost before we even really got to explore that, um, about how she might pair with the, with a man of color, she, it was sort of dismissed. She sort of dismissed it, right? She, he was like, actually, she she gave him the agency to dismiss her. And in in some ways, it was very winking to the, like, Indian American experience. But also, it was a way of being like, look, I tried it. It didn't work. I'm going to go back to kind of my thing. And, um, you know, you were talking just now about all the, the all these new characters that were on this season. And that's very much what happened um, on All-American Girl. That was the name of Margaret Cho's show. Um when the show started to fail was when we started to see the inclusion of more white characters and the the who was the like sort of object of the humor changed. It wasn't Margaret Cho's story. It was audiences laughing at how wacky her immigrant family was. And it started mm-hmm. it started feeling less like she had the agency and more like they were the butt of the joke. Um, I think Mindy managed to kind of like to never let that happen to her show. Um, but I do think, you know, when I watched this last season, I felt like, who are all these extra people and why are so many of them blonde and attractive? <laughs> I mean, Fortune Femster, is, like, she's great. She's great. And Fortune plays... Um, uh, uh, I think a nurse. Yes. Colette. You know, and it's cool. Bring on, yeah, bring bring comedians on. But I do I do think we, we cannot overlook the fact that a lot of the new characters are white. Um, mm-hmm. And They did add one lesbian Sure, character. sure. Um, but well, too, <laughs> fortune, mean, yeah, fortune was one as well. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, right. I, th- I think you know. Long story short, I think the reason I sort of went into it with um, low expectations or no expectations and all hopes is that um, hopes for her is that I've we've seen this kind of happen with TV before. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. she's in a, a a really hard position. Yeah, um, I think she handled it well. Hundred episodes, like fantastic, great for her. I do wonder though, like. Yeah, to some extent, we can say maybe she doesn't have as much control, but then she seems to be, she's 
she's heard the pushback and in interviews she seems very adamant that she is in control and these are just her choices and and i do wonder if like maybe it is just she can't she can't be everything to everyone and what she is just happens to also fit what like might be more mainstream acceptable and maybe that's like it could be her like or maybe it's a little bit of both like her playing into what she knows will work and but also you know like that's just what she what she is with kids it cans free shoes motion sounds something like this Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. One thing I noticed revisiting the show after not really watching it for a while and coming back to it was like, there are some whenever her her Indianness is mentioned, it's like as it's as a like a very quick toss off joke. Yeah, yeah. I think about this when I think about Mindy. Is that um, she's about my age? We are early arrival. Like our fa- our families were probably early arrivals here in the United States. Um, we didn't move into communities of Indians, and even me, people um, for a long time, I sort of struggled with the coconut thing. Because I, I didn't watch. I don't, still don't watch Bollywood movies. I listen to indie rock. I play bass guitar. I like. I think that there's a. We have expectations for what it means to be Indian American, and it actually there's like real stark differences between some of the older generation and some of the. When I say older, I mean like forty um, to forty to fifty. Those are folks who were, who were probably born here. I when I watch Mindy, I always think that. I think that maybe Mindy's experience was that way. She went to Dartmouth. She's into comedy. Like, I think in a lot of ways she expressed herself as different from the so-called, like, stereotypical Indian community here in the United States. So I, I don't begrudge her being who she is, right? Um, I think it's important to think about when, when we watch the show um, and when we think about why she's dating white men. And that, that, I think it's actually probably pretty likely that that is who she is off camera. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess to both your points, you mentioned – just like the the only times that her Indianness is addressed is yeah definitely just like an adjective. She's like oh beautiful Indian woman or yeah. something Indian woman, but yeah I guess also unfortunately I think that like we're still at a point where media like the way we consume media we do tokenism is a reality and she's already kind of a token in her own show. So like you have one South Asian character and you've kind of filled the gap. If you had another South Asian character then. The perception is that it's a it's a brown show. It's an Indian show as opposed to a show about about an American girl. But but at the same time, this is a hospital in New York City where I'd expect <laughs> to see way more South Asian. <laughs> like I would expect to see way more South Asian people, whether they're nurses, doctors, whatever. Like, right. It, it's a little weird. No, it I is. Mean. It's definitely. I mean, yeah, it's it's stark. And I think yeah. folks like blackish and insecure don't get the same label of like, oh, we better not have too many African-Americans on this show. Otherwise, we'll be labeled a black show. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you guys think that she gets more, she gets sort of a harder time than even Aziz? Oh, for sure. Well, for one thing, she was the first, right? Yeah. Like yeah. she came before Aziz. Aziz is only in the last like three ish I Yeah, I think Master of None, the first season was 2015. So not even. It's been like two years since that the mm-hmm. first season came out. And 
she's a woman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, yeah, right. Talk about <laughs> and, intersectionality, right? Like, right. Yeah. And, and plus she, and she does play into the rom-com thing really hard. And that's already dismissed by a lot of people, like right. that genre itself. What about you, Isha? I think, yeah, I think it's tough to compare just because uh, the way we, the way we like analyze pop culture has even come such a far away in the last six years since the show started. So I feel like, Anyone who's made any like a person of color who's made a show after Mindy Project kind of has a bit of a head start and knows what to expect from audiences and from critics. Do you think that had the show started now when we have more representation of of Indian Americans, whether it's Aziz or Hassan Mas- uh, Hassan Minaj or uh, well, wait, is that a- no Kamal Nanjani in the big which? You know, that also brought up even uh, a lot of discussion that we've had on the show and I've seen elsewhere about, you, you know, always seeing Indian Americans only dating. If, if they're dating white, it, dating interracially, it's only with white people and never like another brown person or whatever. But like had the show had many Mindy Project come out now, do you think we'd be a little bit easier on her? I think she would have had to probably do a, a totally different show. I think that coming off the office and coming out of the vein of like sort of her heroes, including like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, she was doing a totally different sort of show than what audiences and critics are starting to really appreciate about not only South Asian characters, but about people of color in general. I think that if she had done a show today, I would, and I did, compare it to Insecure, to Absolutely Master of None. We're just, I don't know that we're there yet, where we can just have a, a rom-com with an Indian-American woman that somehow doesn't talk about the fact that she's Indian-American. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even something like Blackish, like, it's in the title. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and every show does in some way deal with, with blackness. Although I would say, you know, like you said, I, I do think we've come a lot further with black representation mm-hmm. on film and TV than we have with most other demographics. I mean, it's just you know, the fact that we can have something like or even Atlanta. Yeah, like I would Atlanta. love to see Mindy. I, I would be curious to see what Mindy could have done not on network TV or even on Hulu, like with something like Netflix. I, it, I feel like it could have been an entirely different show and maybe she would have had more leeway. I don't yeah. know. I have to say, you know, if there's a show I identify with more, it's Insecure. And I don't know if other people feel this way, but um, that makes me sad a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So... I mean, before we go, I do want to talk just a little bit more broadly about the show outside of its representation of of Indian or not representation of Indian <laughs> culture and and just dive into like whether or not you think the show is a success um, as a sitcom. Like, did it work for you? And who do you, well, Lavanya, you already know the answer, but like, is she going to wind <laughs> up with Danny? I do know the answer. <laughs> Her on again off again romance for the last five seasons who she also has a child with (laughs) (laughs) that kind of helps yeah i think uh, it is really hard because again like i feel like i tuned into the show more for mindy than i did for a 22 minute romantic comedy show like workplace comedy Mm -hmm. um i think it's accomplished a lot i think there was either some like an attempt to address 
the issues that the fans had with the show, like with diversity, even though, I mean, in that there was one Indian dude and Neo was on the show <laughs> and that was it. And they both were like, no, you're not good enough. And she was like, OK. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and well, there's also the one where she was a white man for a day. That oh, yes. Great episode. Yeah. That was a great episode. That was a I totally forgot about was, that. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. yeah, that was a really great episode. And it sort of gives you a peek at what she could have done, mm-hmm. what she might have done. Yeah. Yeah. That was funny. Yeah. That was like timely. I I kind of feel like. She has to end up with Danny. But I also think what's interesting about the latest season is that it's not really about her romantically at all. It's Mm. literally her just like (laughs) kind of like, I don't know, bidding farewell to all the characters and sort of being the supporting character in other people's storylines, which is interesting. And everyone else is pairing up. And everyone else is. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're like really tidying up those those storylines. I mean, I want to say that I don't know if it. If it matters at this point, because she's gotten married, she's had the baby, like she's gotten engaged multiple times, like in terms of a sense of finality to the show, I honestly don't know if being with Danny is the most important part, even though that's like exactly what they've been heading towards the whole time. Although I ship them very hard, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lavanya, since you already know the answer, I'll instead ask, do you think that Mindy should end up with Danny. I think this last season has kind of taken us on a a little bit of a a journey that's where she's sort of discovering that maybe um, romance isn't the end game. I feel like I read an interview about this, too, where they were talking about how, like, all this time marriage has been the end goal for Mindy. Didn't she meet Danny on the top of the uh, the Empire (laughs) Empire State Building? Romance was kind of the end goal. And in the meantime, like, life was just happening to her. She was – she's like an accomplished doctor. She has her own – business and and in this season we saw her really take her business up and then she started that wall of the babies that she helped mothers have what we're really seeing this season is her realizing that romance isn't the end goal and i think that's actually a really important message for a lot of women to see all kinds of women to see that it's okay to have a great career and maybe fail at a marriage the season that she had to was it ben yeah <laughs> to maybe fail at love and still be able to sort of go forward, try to be a good mom. I think we're really seeing that. And I think that's actually one of the best things about this season is that finally Mindy is over the idea that she has to end up with someone. I would agree, except if she does wind up ending up with Danny, then I'll just be like, well, what was the... Right. Yeah. I mean, like, to me, it's like, because, the like, realistically, I think to... I feel like we've reached a turning point now and a lot of rom-com where you know they get to that point where it's like oh I don't actually need a man or I don't need a woman or I don't need a partner but then they wind up having one they because they stopped caring they wind up with someone anyway perfectly which right. is like that doesn't always happen in real life <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you want to be alone and then you're alone forever yeah. <laughs> that's the cynic in me but you know well it was an absolute pleasure having you both on and I'm glad we got to talk about this. I think it's safe to say that we all obviously wish Mindy Kaling the best. And hopefully she, like, continues. I don't know about TV, but, she's like. She's doing a movie with Rihanna. She's fine. Like. Oh, wait. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. I forgot. Ocean's 8. I know. Ocean's, Ocean's 8. Ocean's yes. 8. With the most amazing yeah. cast. <laughs> also, isn't she. Oh, my God. She's doing a anthology series. Like, a what rom-com is it? Oh. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Oh. Four Weddings and a Funeral. So it sounds like maybe it's going to be like a American Horror Story type thing, but for rom-coms. Like where 
right season i don't know or maybe it's just like one and you know one short series yeah would serialized mindy have like without the pressures of gain viewership over seasons maybe kill the game maybe like sort of be more adventurous Mm -hmm. well isha thanks so much for coming on and you want to tell folks where they can find your work and follow you yeah i am on twitter isha aaron just one word and i'm at splinternews.com sweet and lavanya what about you uh I'm on Twitter at uh, Lala Masala. I'm super brown. Um, it's easier to spell than my name. Um, and I'm also on the Washington Post. I write for the style section. Awesome. Thank you both. Thanks. Thank you so much. This is awesome. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What's the point of teasing with fair prices when you're going to go out of business in a year or two? He said, I've poached 40% of your farmers. It's actually 50%, but who's counting? Plus, I already got your cousin Bennington on the hook for his 20,000 acres, and others will follow. They're already sniffing around here. They're curious. Just give me a few more seasons. (laughs) I'll have all the farmers in St. Joe's grinding with me. Run you and your uncle out of business. I have never known a woman like you before. And now for my conversation with Dawn Lynn Gardner. As I mentioned earlier, Dawn plays Charlie on Queen Sugar, one of the best shows, I think, on television right now. It's produced by Oprah and Ava DuVernay, who also has directed a few episodes. And the slow burn drama follows the Bordelon siblings as they each attempt to manage their careers, start over after devastating events, and repair their relationships with one another. Now in season two, Dawn's character has been through it and then some, having now made the move from the celebrity lifestyle of L.A. down to rural Louisiana in order to help rekindle her late father's farming business, alongside her younger brother Ralph Angel, played by Kofi Sirabo. Dawn and I talked about all that happened with Charlie on season two, including the big reveal of her mother and their tense dynamic, and how she personally connects with the characters she plays on screen. Check it out. It's really exciting to have... As our guest today, Don Lynn Gardner. Welcome, Don. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you about season two because so much has happened, especially with your character. <laughs> <laughs> so I've I've watched uh, this week's episode, um, and when this is released, it'll be right before the finale. And so, in this latest episode, your your family is really coming to a head with the Landrys, that w- who are the white family that has been threatening and sabotaging your business since you first arrived on the scene. Mm-hmm. And one of the characters sizes you up and says something along the lines of, like, I've never encountered a woman like you before. And to me, Charlie as a character is, is I think, a character I've never seen on screen before either. And I'm curious as to what stands out to you the most about Charlie and how does that inform how you approach her character? Mm. That's a hard question. <laughs> it's a hard question because um, I think I share that sentiment that I've never, 
I've never encountered a character like her, definitely in my own professional life. I've never played a character like her. Um, and I think that was what was so attractive to me about her is that she not only is such a superhero in her outer world and, you know, in all the, the business realms that she that she walks in, but she's such an interesting person internally. And the thing that stands out the most about her is, I think, how how much of a contradiction she is, um, how complex she is, and how how much space she takes up because she's in ownership of it. She's completely unapologetic about her own dimension. And I, I think that's part of why we see that moment happen with um, with Jacob is, is I think in some ways, even though there's a bit of disgust <laughs> that we all feel when that happens, it's sort of like, Oh God! Um, but there's also a bit of a bit of relating to him, like, yeah, I haven't either. I haven't encountered a woman like her either. So um, I think she she evokes a constant fascination uh, among so many other feelings. Um, she's completely imperfect. She's not the ideal, um, but she's also totally heroic. So it's it's all of those um, layers at one time. It's like you're eating, you're never eating like, you know, um, a tortilla chip with her. You're always eating like a full-on, you know, multi-level sandwich at every bike mm-hmm. with like every kind of sauce you can imagine. That's that's my experience of of sort of living with her for the past two years. So I, I feel like it's hard to nail down one thing, but I think it's, I think it's her complexity. I think it's her her unapologetic complexity. I I love that analogy of the the, the tortilla chip because <laughs> it, it it just it it really does sort of crystallize for me how complicated is a word that's thrown around so much but like there's so many parts of her that are are odd, are at odds with herself yes. and just the you know moving uh, moving halfway across the country to this place that you sort of call home but like you really only spent your summers there growing up and and having to adjust and and learn how to negotiate things differently in the south uh, as opposed to what you're used to in LA yeah and yeah it's it's all just it's just very all the characters are rich, but especially that seems very rich to me, that that dynamic there. She embodies a lot of a lot of the identity question in the show. I think that's that's mm-hmm. really a central theme is reinvention and all the characters are really in some some journey um, that has to do with that. But I think she embodies the question of identity. We see that with her mother and her mixed race identity. But like you said, this is a place that she calls home, but she only spent summers there. Um, and yet it's it's really one of the strongest points of identification that she has. I think, you know, I feel that her father was probably her strongest relationship. It was probably the strongest place of identification for her. Um, and I know for myself that even though, like my own family isn't, I'm not, I didn't, wasn't raised in the South, but my family's from the South and my identifying with the South is very strong, even though I wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't raised there. So I think she, in some ways, the, I think she represents, um, identity as fluid and identity as as a journey. Yeah. I mean, let's I, I do want to talk to you about your mother appearing on the show because, mm-hmm. you know, it I for some reason when I when it happened, when it was revealed that your mother is white, I for some reason didn't realize that was an actual reveal. I, I thought that we had already known that or maybe that was just like my sense of like 
I, I felt like something something is not not that something is off, but like it seems like this is the reveal that we're going to see. There's more to this story um, than, you know, just having, you know, being the half sibling of Ralph Angel and Nova. And when she's revealed, but but it, it appears that that was that was a reveal. Were you aware of this? Like when you took on the role or was how long have you known that that was going to be the fact? And, you know, how did you approach uh dealing with that as a character and the identity of of being biracial um, within the story of the show. Well, what's interesting is that I actually knew from the very beginning. um, Ava and I talked completely, you know, very early on um, when we were developing the character and sort of fleshing it out. and, And it was a very big part of our conversation was that her mother's white. And, um, and I, it was interesting because it wasn't a secret necessarily, um, but it certainly wasn't talked about before this point in the show. So I'm not sure how much the cast was totally, totally clear on that. I know that I mm-hmm. was, um, and it was a huge part of my character development. It was a part of every decision I made for her because for me, a big part of her um, her drive um, outside of just her own dreams and ambitions had to do with this feeling of feeling other and separate and um, and and wanting to belong. I think that's one of the things that Charlie really struggles with is is the sense of belonging. Um, I think it's a part of why she had Micah so early. I th- you know, it's, it, it was a huge part of what of what I crafted from from the very beginning. So it's been um, it's been fascinating since the mid-season premiere because I've been living with that information for like a year and some change, but I forgot that no one else in the audience knows it. Mm-hmm. So I, I I realized everyone's encountering this information for the first time except me. <laughs> and so I, I had to begin to start to articulate things that I've been working with for the past year and haven't really had to name to anyone um, about identity and about uh, that sense of belonging and about fracture. Um, but it's because I am also biracial, it's something that I, I've thought a lot about for myself. And then I had, I had, um, it was, it was a very natural thing for me to weave it into, into her storyline. Um, I, I'm really grateful for this because I think, um, it's a hard thing to talk about sometimes, um, it feels like it's an experience that's often either uh, reduced to one thing or not fully understood, um, or there's a lot of assumption about it. And it was a really wonderful thing to have three episodes with Sharon Lawrence, who was magnificent and a a joy to work with, to sort of flush it out and really unpack it in a way that felt authentic to me as someone who is biracial. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting that you said that you're not totally sure if the rest of the cast knew as much or knew as soon as you did about the character and the fact that the show doesn't really bring it up until this this mid-season uh premiere because to me it kind of speaks to especially you know i a lot of families is in i can say my family and other people's families i know there are always these not so much secrets but these unspoken things that that don't really get talked about yes and and you know, one of those things could be whether it's uh, having having a, a, an entirely different family uh, that you didn't know about, or or someone stepping out on 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 their partner. But the idea that like the the race of your mother was is not really talked about in the show until mid season 
uh, premiere is just really fascinating to look at and, and the idea of like that identity and you having to sort of come up with these things for yourself without anyone else really knowing about it. Yeah, and what's interesting is that part of what we wanted to, I guess, sort of storytell or explore was that dynamic of, of the assumption of like what what is what has been said for maybe decades about someone the the beliefs about someone the um the sort of mythology or the you know the story that exists in the family even if it's not talked about it's just sort of the whispers about someone and then when that person is really present and that person really has a chance to say this is actually who I am that story may shift. We may find that that story isn't true or just wasn't true in the way we thought it was true, which is what we see happen mm-hmm. with, with Lorna's character. And one thing that Ava, you know, really wanted to, to also highlight was like, Lorna is a white woman who comes in into this um, community of color. And she said, you know, there are assumptions made about her that might have to do with race, might not have to do with race. But that's also the experience that many people of color feel in environments where they're the minority. Mm-hmm. And she she wanted to, t- to sort of explore and unpack that dynamic of the assumptions that are made. And then when you face the person and you hear from them and you sort of face their humanity, just the the truth of who they are becomes very becomes very real and, and, and outdoes the, the assumptions a bit, you know. Right. And I thought that was brave. I thought it was brave to reverse it and um, explore those dynamics in that in that way. Yeah, I mean, I Lorna's character is so, even though she's only there for a couple of episodes, there's so many, so many layers happening with her. She feels like a very fully fleshed out character. And one of the scenes that I think a lot of people talked about afterwards and that just really stood out to me again was the the scene you have after learning about Micah's uh, what happened with what really happened with him when he encountered that cop uh, when he got pulled over in season one. Yeah. I didn't protect him. Not like how you protected me. I mean, isn't that what you told me when you sent me up to boarding school? You were protecting me. I sent you away to school because you were a black woman in a white world and you needed the best education and the best pedigree. It wasn't enough. And that is why I sent you to spend your summers here. So that you would know where you came from and have that identity. But then I had to go home. And I felt the opposite at home. Like I had to manage my blackness, like... Like, there was no room for it. That scene was just, there were so many things happening in in it. And I wonder, like, how did you talk about that with, um, you know, whether it's with Ava or anyone else who was working on the show? Like, how did you approach that scene? It's so funny because I actually just saw the writer of that episode, Jason Wilborn, um, yesterday. And we were talking about working together on that scene because it was so important to him um, he's he's black and he has he has biracial kids and he was saying, I'm I want to get this right and I want um, I want their experience I want them to have somewhere to look to to feel that their their experience is being heard and and valued um, and so we it was a very collaborative process to be honest with you um, that scene in particular um, really from the moment that Sharon arrived on set. We we began talking about that scene, and we were on conference call with Jason, and you know we really were um, looking to tell the truth of of Charlie's experience in that moment, which is so complicated. It is about um, Micah. It begins with Micah. It ends with Micah. But in the middle, she has to sort of confront 
where she feels um, she has never gone with her mother, which she wants her mother to understand in this moment of of needing comfort from her mm-hmm. and basically not being able to get it because there's a place that her mother can't go with her. But because her mother is her mother and knows what it is to to want your child to be safe and okay and 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 well and and hurts when your child hurts she's able to comfort her by 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 being able to give her permission to forgive herself so there's there's so many layers happening around trying to understand what happened when she was younger trying to understand um why she's made some of the choices she's made as a mother, including moving Mike across the country and not mm-hmm. preparing him and um and knowing she she and trying to even get understood by someone who there's a limit to to how they can understand you and and wanting that person, your mother, I mean out of anyone that you want to understand you in the world, it's your mother. I can I can relate to that. I've had a version of that of that conversation in my real life. I've literally had that conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a it's a pain that's hard to articulate because there's no resolution to it. It's a complicated experience that I feel proud that we invested so deeply in telling the truth about. And even though it's not comfortable, I feel that people um I think they find something satisfying in just in just being in the discomfort of it. And and there's a truth that I don't know. It's sort of like um, you you can't you can't flush it all out, but there's something about the truth that's comforting. Something about just being in the in the dynamics of it that feels right. Mm-hmm. When when you say that you've had that conversation with your mother, like did you after you had that conversation, did you feel better? Do you feel as though you were able to come to an understanding that you had never had with her before? You know, what's interesting is that I watched that episode with my mother and my grandmother, actually. And that was profound. That was profound because after it turned off, I turned to her and I said, do you remember having that conversation? Do you remember, that, remember our version of that conversation? And she said, um, sort of. <laughs> and I said, well, let, let me recap. <laughs> what happened and um and we had a long talk we had a long talk about what that meant for me we had a long talk about seeing that scene and with her (laughs) and and what um what it brought up for me and it's an ongoing conversation really with her because I think um it did feel like I was finally getting something out that maybe I had been processing really my entire life and had begun to articulate as I got older. But there is this level of of she cannot go with me. There's a place that she cannot go with me. And that that there's no there's no comfort there. Mm-hmm. There's no comfort there. And and at the same time she, just she insists, I am your mother and when you hurt I hurt. And I there's nothing I can say to that because I know that that's true. I just know it in my bones that that's true. Mm-hmm. I have nieces and I know that that's true with them. So I can't imagine mm-hmm. what it is to to you know to to feel that as a mother in for real. So I I that's what I drew on really for all the entire season with Micah is my mom talking to me about her experience as a mother in that way that when your child hurts you hurt mm-hmm. you hurt as though it's happening to you and as much as I can feel 
alone in my experience when, in terms of when it comes to how I reconcile my own identity, in terms of wanting to talk with you know, the woman who literally birthed me and raised me about the things that I walk in the world with that she literally doesn't experience. She experiences other things. My mom is, is um, Asian, so she's, she has her own walk, and I, and I have a lot of feelings about that. But mm. as much as those things are true, it's just, it's like multiple truths happening at the same time. None of them n- negate each other. They're all true. And there's no easy way to navigate that. Yeah. So one relationship that I was sort of surprised by this season has been the one you've had with Darla and the way in which you sort of took her on when she was in in need of of a job uh, after losing her other her uh, previous job you you let her in to bring her in on on as an assistant and you've been very compassionate you give her a lot of advice um especially when it comes to reconnecting with her her family but now, as we know, there is a huge revelation, uh, spoiler for anyone who is not caught up, uh, <laughs> but you should be if you're not. <laughs> but we now don't know if Ralph Angel uh, is actually the father of Blue. And in this latest episode, this week's episode, we we see how angry and hurt the entire family is, especially your character. And you you let Darla go from, from the assistant job. But... Could you, I mean, are there any hints you can give about, like, what that relationship might look like going forward? Like, is it, do you think it can be repaired? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Darla. Oh. Um, <laughs> She's such a I heartbreaking a... character. <laughs> yeah, it really, it really is. And, you know, I have to say, like, it was a heartbreaking experience um, because it was, it was, it was an interesting thing to build. It was a, it was a sensitive relationship to build. Um, you know, we don't see Charlie with any friends in this show. No. <laughs> the <laughs> only true. friends she has are friends that she sort of plays. You know what I mean? Like in the first season especially, you see her with her girlfriends that are, you know, wives of, 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 of basketball players that are on Davis's team. And, and you see her with them and they look close, but we hear really, really quickly, even in that first episode, like what she really thinks about them. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we see through the season that she's she's she knows how to play them and that they're they're useful to her. But other than that, we see her with no one who's close. So I, it was it was very interesting to build that relationship because it was I realized it was the first time that she had outside of of uh, Nova that she had. A, a woman, a close woman, you know, ally in life, and then also that that process of um, of becoming close with Darla started before the reveal of the letter and the reveal of of her father's wishes for Ralph Angel to get the land. So that complicated that relationship for me. And then when they continued to get close after that, um, that that gave me a lot of information about where Charlie was. And I felt very strongly that it was only because that Charlie sort of, quote, lost the land, um, which was basically her driving force from season one on, um, that there was a sort of nakedness that began to emerge with her in a good way. There was a, there was a, a connecting to herself and a, it's almost like you rip away the, the, the one thing that, uh, a character's maybe most invested in or is um, 
defined by in terms of her, you know, her own promise to her father, her redemption story, all that, you rip that away. And, and I, I felt, you know, in playing her, there was just a, an, an extreme vulnerability, an extreme, um, a, an extreme nakedness that left her open to, um, and maybe a little, a little more understanding, a little kinder, a little, a little more willing to extend in a way that we hadn't seen before. And, and I think with Darla, what we begin to see once, once those doors are open and they began to, to create, you know, a, a closer relationship, I think what's amazing about them is that they're really mirrors to each other. They're, um, they're both, uh, women who feel like they're not from this place. Mm-hmm. They're both mothers who became mothers very, very young. They were both in college and made that decision. We learn through the season that they may have backgrounds that are similar in terms of the social circles that they were navigating growing up and, and the pressures that came with that and their needs to, to please their parents and their, and their relationships with, with themselves and, and family. And so I, I feel like um, when that scene, when I literally when I read the script for, um, for this episode, I... I I I cried and then I I called Ava. <laughs> it was like, you know, I really I really advocated like please don't make her do this. Please, please, please because I I felt like Charlie had grown so much in being able to let someone in and being able to connect with someone in that way and I didn't want her to go backwards. You know, I didn't want her to to shut herself down. Um but I also, you know, Ava said to me there is no way that Charlie Bordelone West, who is about her business, who is we've everything we've seen about this character, she would never let someone who is who has betrayed her family in this way, in such a profound way. Um, she would never let her be that close to her business, mm-hmm. be that close to her anymore, in the place where she is in ownership of herself. It just wouldn't happen, and I, I had to hear that, and I had to acknowledge that that that, that was true. Yeah. So before we go, I did want to ask you one final question, which is the question I ask all of my guests on the show, which is, when is the last time you saw a film or a TV show in which you were not directly involved with? uh, And you felt as though you saw yourself on screen. You felt represented on screen. Oh, that's a really hard, hard, hard question to answer because... The truth is, and it's it's really hard to acknowledge this, and I'm racking my brain trying to imagine, trying to trying to figure out if this is really true, but I haven't really. Um, I think part of that is is growing up biracial, and feeling like that experience isn't. Um, there's something about it that feels like there's um, like oh we all we all get it we all know what that is <laughs> we all mm-hmm. we all we all have an idea we all have a sense. Um, and something about it has felt very trendy, I think, in the last five to ten years. Like, all of a sudden it's cool and like, oh, how trendy. Um, that wasn't my experience at all. It, it, my experience was, was, was often very lonely and often um, I was often, I often felt like I was trying to reconcile um, dynamics, reconcile history, um, I would reconcile looking in the mirror, honestly, growing up, and um, and even as I got into 
even in adulthood, because I didn't see um, myself represented. That's that's the truth. I didn't see a character or just myself represented, um, so I, I didn't know where to look. In terms of who I feel like at times and who I felt like at times, I think that's part of that's part of what's interesting about this show is that I think I have seen I've seen myself in in many characters that don't necessarily look like me. Um, Oh, through the years, I think that's what people of color have done for a long time with the lack of um, an abundance of narratives in which they're featured is we, we, we build, we have muscles for um, seeing ourselves where we may, not, may we, may, we may not see ourselves physically, but seeing ourselves in a character or seeing, I think that's part of what art does and what art allows. And I, I feel like I've seen that in... Um, well, I will say right now, it's not, a, it's not an example of that, but Issa Rae's character in Insecure, I was a teaching artist for years in Los Angeles, and I totally walked that walk of, like, of working <laughs> with kids and working in a nonprofit and sort of living that life in L.A. And I think right now, currently, that's, I've, I see like at least a former, a former self and a former life in that. But, um, but before that, I think I've seen myself in all kinds of ways. Um, weirdly, even though I don't have this life at all in any way, um, I see myself in um, Carrie and Homeland in an interesting way, huh. because, and I and I I think there's a relation there's a conversation that that Charlie has with her because of her sense of fracture and belonging and mission. I think there's something about um, the the mission driven person, the um, the feeling of wanting to contribute and help and a vision of a world that that works better and a world that works you know for more than than just a few I share that 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 sort of passion and drive in my life I'm, I'm racking my brain to think of like definitely cares just like oh my god that's that's exactly me I feel like maybe it's a combination of of Issa on Insecure and Carrie on Homeland <laughs> Well, Carrie, Carrie's an interesting one just because like like Charlie, she's also like dealing with a very male dominated world. That's and, right. And constantly yeah. having to go up against men who doubt her abilities and her her That's right. uh, her smarts. Yeah. But yeah. No, those are those are great choices. I don't think we've ever had Carrie from Homeland as a choice before. Oh. So <laughs> Yay, that's great to add. Awesome, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Don, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I'm looking forward to season the season two finale, which is airing next week, and also looking forward to season three. And yeah, can't wait to see where Charlie goes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. And that's all for now. The season two finale of Queen Sugar will be airing this Wednesday at 10 p.m. on the Oprah Winfrey Network. Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Marilyn Williams. Our excellent social media assistant is Marissa Martinelli. And our intro-outro music is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. And a huge thank you to Hannah Harris-Green for helping us record Dawn from L.A. And one last thing before we go. Have you ever thought, what makes a song a smash? Is it talent, luck, timing? Well, Chris Malampi, pop chart analyst and author of Slate's Why Is This Number One series, tells tales from a half century of chart history in his monthly podcast, Hit Parade. Through storytelling, trivia, and song snippets, Chris dissects how that song you love or hate dominated the airwaves, made its way to the top of the charts, and shaped your memories forever. Find Hit Parade wherever you find your podcasts. 
Until next time. 